Good afternoon, Willimannick and Wyndham. It's Tuesday, May 23rd, so it's 52323. Wow. And you're listening to The Neighborhood. <laughs> this is Anita Sebastian with my co-host, Ernie Eldridge. How long did it take you to sit up all night thinking about that, did you? Or 52323? <laughs> cute. <clears throat> yeah, as cute as it. Anyways, it's, uh, you can tell it's summertime. You know how I can tell it's summertime? <clears throat> How can you tell it's summertime? Matt has his shorts on. <clears throat> That's why I can tell it's summertime. He's the, he's the one that he's the one that wears the shorts. Me, I Kentucky Fried Chicken would want my legs if I wore my shorts. So I've got a frog in my throat tonight. We were just talking about that. Wayno has the same darn thing, doesn't he? You know, I hope that he he gets better soon. That's for sure. I'm going to take a little drink here. Go ahead, do something, Anita. Do something. That's that's really nice. Thanks a lot. Well, we could thank Casella. Waste for oh, sponsoring true. our show. Yes. Uh, you know, well, I made a waste paper. It is now Casella. I'll, I'll try to keep it that way. After Mark was on the show here last week, in fact, he was uh, back on, and um, he's just one of the nice guys. He really is. He does. He takes his his uh, work to heart, and uh, he does a nice job. He thinks a lot about the community, and I like to hear that with Casella. You know, uh, thinking the same way that Timmy and Tommy and the rest of the. Uh, the Bevo family thought that the community was a good community and that it was worth it. So, and Matt, we already talked about behind the dials with his shorts on and, and making us sound real good tonight. That's for sure. I, I hope we sound real good. Go ahead. Yeah, we need to thank WYLI fourteen hundred AM and ninety five point three FM. Oh, you also. stepped all over my words. Aren't you nice? Yeah, uh, the Rice family uh, and uh, Hall's communication. Let's put it that way. Colin's still here. Any kind of a. Uh, critiques our show from time to time that's for sure i mean people do listen to it good bad or indifferent they do listen to it so but anyways uh you know anita of course you know being the mayor of the town and of course you're on the board of finance and we've all been around town hall a long time but you know a lot of people you know they look at town hall and think okay that's where all these uh offices are for the mayor and the town manager which is a uh, new okay and uh, you know you have the finance department and you have the uh, tax collection tax department, collection department. Office, yeah, absolutely yeah, oh yeah all of, all all those of those. but you know originally when that was built in the 1890s there was a lot more in that building than what was there and uh, we had the GAR hall that was the grand army of the republic hall how's that so grand army of the republic of course was for union soldiers it was kind of a, I don't know what you call it, not a gang, but it's a, it was a, a uh, like the Elks or something like that. Let's put it that way. A club, I guess, is a correct term. So. Now, at that time, did they have American Legion and VFW? I can't answer that, to be very honest with you. That's something that I'd have to look into. I cannot answer that. So, but uh, like I said, that was for Union soldiers, and the J.R. Hall is where um, actually where the tax department is now was the J.R. Hall, and uh, then the library was in the back there, and that's where I had my office in the back was the library. The uh, police department, you walked in through the front there. There's now is a bench for the the Polish people. They had a, a bench dedicated to them, and there's a planter there. And if you walk into the town manager's office, that's where the police department was. And the uh, and the, the cell was there, and you had a courtroom downstairs for, you know, things like um, having too loud a muffler or something, or or the guy was a town drunk or something, and so they had to take him to court. But actually, when town hall was built, it had a superior court in it, and I bet you most people don't know there was a superior court on the third floor, and actually it's still there, actually it's still there. In fact, uh, back uh, oh geez, it's got to be 12 years ago now. 
I'm trying to think how long ago I was, was, the, was the mayor, but at that time, they were doing a movie called The Diamond Ruff, R-U-F-F, Diamond Ruff. And in fact, if you Google Diamond Ruff and you go to the trailer that they have on the first part, yours truly is standing there doing my cameo, uh, you know, uh, on it is what I'm doing. So, but I don't, I, it was kind of a B movie, I think, and I don't think it really made much headway. But the deal was that they could not use a court that was in that. Uh, uh, an active court. An active court. That's the word I needed. You said it before, and I just, it just steps out of my mind. So, our court was not courtroom was not active but it was still a courtroom and still had the witness box it still had the judges this it still had a place for the the, the jury to there you go the jury and, and you know yeah. it, it was funny because you know you go upstairs and there's there's like a little partition that's no higher than probably four foot and, it, and the defendant is on one side and the people that are doing the other that's doing them is on the other side it's like you could just do fist fights over here and but uh, I guess they were more civil than that. But what we're going to today is because it was a superior court before we had anything in Danielson, before we had the one here in Willamette, before we had anything, uh, that was a court. And we tried two bad boys is what we did uh, in, in that courtroom along with others. But these two were noted and they were noted because they did something interesting. Is that correct? Now this Richard, Dick Curlin, I know is Richard Curlin. Uh, he wrote for the um, bulletin and this is a, a number of years ago. And, and Dick we knew personally. Uh, my family had a country and western band. My mom, my dad, my uh, my sister, myself, and then my kid sister came along. Hi Joe. And uh, hi mom. And uh, Dick Curlin always thought that we were a pretty good band. We used to play all the minstrel shows and all the town halls and everything like that. You know, do, do uh, how many strum eldridges what it was called but he wanted to put us on the road as he wanted to do like like the king family or something and we said ah, i don't think so you know we're we're not we're i don't know whether we were that good for one but on the other hand you know things like that can destroy a family to be very honest with you so you're better off just staying doing what you're doing anyways dick was the writer and dick is writing about what are we talking about here anita we're talking about the icebox Bandits. Icebox Bandits. You ever heard of the Icebox Bandits? You heard of the yes. You have heard of the Icebox Bandits. I don't know if anybody out there had heard of the Icebox Bandits, but it was like 1928, and I can imagine they're riding around in Model A's, and but uh, but maybe they're riding around in big Chryslers too, you know, dual cow Chryslers and and things like that. But depends but, uh, on how rich your, your town was. <laughs> <laughs> but it was you know it, it, during you know the, the months of like February, March, and April, and right into now, uh, these two Massachusetts guys decided that they were going to participate in robbing small stores and markets along the Connecticut border. So they would. Go rob like mom and pop operations. Yep, yep, yep. People don't realize that back then refrigeration was one of these things that probably not everybody could afford. In fact, if you down the street where during redevelopment here they tore down a building, I think it used to be Rosen's Department Store if I remember correctly, and there was a, a store there that had a large freezer or refrigerator unit in it and people used to be able to take their goods down there to store them is what they could do okay so because you all you had was an ice box in your house where the ice guy would bring up 25 pounds of ice or 10 pounds of ice every day or whatever you know and you could only put in a few things so if you had a, a big pile of stuff to you know to cool or keep refrigerated you'd rent a space is what you do in this place so it wasn't uncommon for grocery stores or these type of mom and pop stores like you said to have a cooler in them is what they do so and rent out the space too yep. 
neighborhood folks. Yeah. But they weren't after the cool goods. They were after the cash, I think, mm -hmm. is what they were after. So I would imagine so. Yep. Their robbery method was to enter a store, size up the situation, <laughs> and if the setting was to their liking, they pulled their weapons, confiscated the cash box contents, and before their getaway... They'd put them in the cooler. That usher the victims into the large walk-in ice boxes. I wonder if that's where they got the name cooler from. You know, maybe these two clowns made a cooler or something. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, they, I guess they, you know, they were they were known by the cops that, uh, you know, a police officer, excuse me, I shouldn't use cops. I should say police officers. That's That's more of a... Proper way, huh? As kids, it was always your dirty coppers, you you know, type of thing. But anyways. Anyway, their exploits were known by the police. Yep. But they weren't initially captured. Due to the oddity involving the cold storage units, they eventually became known by the public and the police as the icebox bandits. Yeah. You're right. You know, their unique pattern, uh, you know, began uh, taking on a folk folklore uh, likeness. And many of the famous criminals later profiled the gangster movies. So, you know, like... Our nest there, not our nest. That's 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 good smoke. <laughs> Elliot Ness. Elliot Ness. There you go. Sure, you know, and uh, Edward G. Robinson and all of those guys with their, you know, their guns and and, and uh, you know Tommy guns and all kinds of cars and stuff like that. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, these guys probably set it up. They would have been great for movie stars. They should have done that yeah, instead of putting people done, in there. Yeah, so. they probably would have made more money. But after you know many of their successful escapades, they repeated their holdup in April of the day in Springfield, and herded the owners into what they perceived to be a closed icebox. But it wasn't. Is the problem? Ah, there was a window in there. And so one of the family members escaped, and immediately alerted an officer who saw the duo escaping in their car. He called after them, you know, halt, whatever. But after ignoring his warning, the officer fired one shot, and he put a hole in the back window of their car, you know, the getaway it, car. It's, they talk about it in another part of this, uh, uh, another news article, let's put it that way, in the bulletin. And they talk about how it's a green car is what it is, this green death car is what they're talking about, which it really makes it kind of wow, you know. All I can think of is a green hornet. Do you, you, you remember the green hornet? You, you ever seen the green hornet at all? Yes, okay, you know, they got that fancy green car, you know, the green hornet. I'm just thinking that these guys had that car, you know, is what they had, and they shot the real window out of it. So, But anyways, so we're moving on is what we're doing. So the bandits escaped. They crossed the border into Connecticut, and lo and behold, they, they stopped, stopped in Willamantic for gasoline, you know, so what the heck, you know. I mean, it's, it's not too bad. It's halfway between, you know, Worcester and uh, and probably Hartford or something like that. So it's, it's a good place to stop and get gas. But Harold Lester, he was 17 at that time. Now, Harold's uh, daughter is, um, yep, Sue Humes, who runs the... Uh, Card home. Thank you, over on John Street. All I can think of is John Street, and, and I knew it wasn't the John home. <laughs> it was, uh, but she runs that anyway. She's the uh, she's the principal person there. How's that? So, but uh, so her dad is the one, and I think if I remember correctly, Harold worked with my dad, or my dad worked with Harold at the telephone company. So, but he helping out his dad's garage, which was right up. Um, 
almost across the post office, if I remember correctly. There's a, like a taco shop there now, and a, and a, a, like right next to the Capitol Theater, there's like three different stores in there. Between there and Hot Shots, okay, there used to be a gas station there. Is what I'm trying to get to. Is what it was. That was a long time ago, but there was a gas station there. So. So anyway, Harold's pumping gas into the bandit's car, and he noticed. The shattered rear window. I wonder if that's you know noticeable that they got a bullet hole in the window, huh? I, yeah. I guess that would be. Oh, he memorized the license plate number and the faces of the two young men, and in the meantime, communications reached police authorities in the area. Now you have to remember, communications were not what they are today. Calling all cars, calling all cars, you know, <laughs> car fifty-one, where are you? <laughs> so a trooper, a state trooper that was near Rec Park got the alert and he saw who and he saw the described automobile approaching the green hornet and he tried to stop them and he was almost run over anyways he was 27 year old trooper Irving Nelson. But on a motorcycle. I mean, he was a motorcycle cop. He wasn't in a car. He was a motorcycle cop. Can you imagine in 1928 riding a motorcycle in 1928, some kind of Harley Davidson, you know, with a shifter up on the gas tank here? And You ever see one of those, Matt? You know, yeah, yeah, they're kind of crazy, aren't they? You know, here's a shifter up on the gas. Nobody thinks about things like this unless you've seen them. So anyways, so anyways, he chased him is what he did through North Windham and Chaplin and Phoenixville and Abington and Pomfret, all of those great towns. So they must have gone right up 198 is what they did, and over 44 and and, uh, and, and that way to get to uh, Pomfret. So where Nelson fired his weapon at them, and they returned fire and mortally wounded him is what they did. So they really got themselves in a peck of trouble is yep. what they did. So. The incident caused a massive manhunt for five days. Dozens of troopers and other law enforcement officials tracked down the killers and finally apprehended them. And their long trial took place in the Wyndham Town Hall. Right. Well, it was the Superior Court, but we called it Wyndham Town Hall because that's what you, you know, yep. that's what we know it as now is a town hall. But it was the Superior Court. Now, I think find it interesting that they were locked up in the old Brooklyn County Jail. No, there's probably too many drunks in ours. <laughs> no, they probably didn't put murderers in our jail, to be very honest with you. They, they would have gone to a more... Uh, secure facility? Secure facility, yeah, exactly right. Ours probably wasn't that secure, to be very honest with you. you know, It was just for the bad boys around town is what it was for. you know. I don't think it was for people that killed people. Let's put it that way. So that's what I would take a guess. Now, back in those days, the Wyndham police had no official police cars. A former deputy sheriff. Now, you know, that's interesting. You can stop right there. The Wyndham police, you know. Not, they don't say the Willimantic police. They don't say police. the Willimantic police. I've got, I've got a, a picture of the Willimantic police force with their tall, those tall, funny hats that they wore in 1929. So I'm surprised that they that it wasn't uh, Wyndham that, uh, or, or Willimantic that picked them up. It must have been Wyndham police, but... Uh, we did have a police force in Wyndham. We have all the uniforms if anybody wants to join. Uh, we'll, we'll, we bought a wall somewhere in a tank sale or something, so we've got all the uniforms from the Wyndham. But they're all, they're, they're, they're fit me now because they're all kind of large people. They were really big guys. Let's put it that way. There's nobody skinny in the Wyndham police force. Anyways. So former deputy sheriff, Ted Marote, was sworn back into service. He owned a taxi service. Of course. Why wouldn't he? So he was able to transport prisoners from time to time. And he seemed like, you know, all right, deputy sheriff. 
That must have been a scary job, to be very honest with you. Can you imagine? You know, I was going to say, if yep, he didn't have yep. anybody else with him. Right. They gave him a pair of handcuffs from the 1800s, which is really, those are really special. I mean, <laughs> we've had a pair of those. We've had a couple of pairs. they got a great big key, and it's got like a, I'm trying to think how to describe it. You know, it's got a, a big cylinder is what it has. That's probably a big around as a, as like a Hershey bar or something like that, you know, and, and, that, and that's part of it. But they're not really that secure, to be very honest with you. But Something they, that big. I mean, they could have clunked him over the head and probably <laughs> well, knocked him out. It's probably true. But they handcuffed each other, I guess, in the back yep. seat. But still. And Ted assured together. them that if they so much as moved, he would shoot them. So I guess they got the point. How's that? So he had his handcuffs. He had a loaded revolver. And eventually, he even got the keys to the Brooklyn lockup. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, nobody else wanted to open the door, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it took two years for these guys to get convicted is what I think it took. It took almost two years, I think, is what the other article, if we can get to it, uh, oh. talked about how it was. But oh. that was held at Wyndham Town, Town Hall. or the. Yep. And it said he braved the 30-plus-mile trip twice per day for almost two years. There you yep. go. And the two the, gentlemen, if you want to call them that, gangsters, <laughs> Ronald Lillian and Albert Raymond, were ultimately convicted of killing Nelson. That was the big thing. Yep. Um, after Harold Lester was called on as a key witness, giving crucial evidence. You got it. But, you know, after the trial, one killer was in prison and the other one was on bond. I, you know, I, I'm surprised they allowed oh. a killer to be on bond, let's put it that way. But uh, I don't know, maybe it was 50 bucks or something. So, Well, maybe they were able to determine which one actually killed ah, that, the Ah, that, there you go. While resisting arrest, a failure to appear in court, the latter individual was, was shot, okay, which is the one who was out on bond. And the other guy imprisoned, he just... In prison is what he did. So, but uh, so some interesting things about the case: Irving Nelson was the first Connecticut trooper to be killed in the line of duty since they organized it in 1909. 1909. The Manhattan was one of the largest in three states, and standpoint the number of police, 100 mobilized at that time, all sitting in Model A's, and it was the first manhunt for fugitive using bloodhounds. And it was one of the first manhunts using airplanes in the search. So, it was really an. It was. It was a big deal. Yeah. It really was. And we're down to the last. Uh, we're down to the last minute, Nita. So I don't know. I don't think that there's too much more now. But Teddy Roosevelt has said, "Do what you can with what you have where you are." So I guess that's it. You know, don't don't look for any more. What you got is what you're going to use. So, get us out of here, kid. And thanks for listening, folks. And uh, all I can think of is the Wet Bandits there on. You, you remember that movie with uh, Home Alone? The, home alone. <laughs> the Wet Bandits. I think about that when I think of the Icebox Bandits. Get us out of here quick. We're running out of time. <laughs> this is Anita Sebastian for my co-host, Ernie Eldridge. Wishing everyone out there a great week in the neighborhood, folks. Stay safe. You know what to do. Sweet dreams, Bunky. Okie dokie, Loki. <laughs>